RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. This is the Valor Hour on Radio Influence. Your weekly glimpse inside all things Valor Fights. And a look at what's going on in the rest of the MMA community. Now, here's your host, Tim Loy. Welcome to another edition of the Valor Hour. I'm your host, Tim Loy, and it is episode number 198. We're getting up close to the uh, the big 200 here as uh, we're about a week out from the uh, all-pro event of VFC 80. It goes down at the World Famous Cotton Eye Joe next Friday night. And, uh, man, it's a loaded card. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight. But as well, uh, we've got our picks panel coming up next week, so uh, I would be excited to, to you know, break down all the fights next week. I'm joined, uh, of course, this week uh, by the usual suspects, minus one Greg Hopkins, uh, who is uh, out there uh, working, uh, working the communities and helping people keep uh, roofs over their heads. I've got Justin <laughs> Watson on the line. I've got Jeff Hobbs, Torres, Finney uh, as well with us tonight. And uh, man, uh, to start, you know, uh, we'll, we'll give a quick rundown. You know, the first uh, segment of the show, uh, a bit of a somber one. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate news we received uh, uh, over the past week, that uh, longtime Southeastern MMA pioneer Chet Blaylock, uh, un, uh, he suddenly passed. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're going to get into that, uh, give some Chet stories and just give a give a little bit of a reminiscing in our first segment. Segment two, we're going to look back at this past week's UFC Vegas card. Um, and then uh, segment three, we'll look ahead at the UFC 260 pay-per-view, which has been decimated by injuries, to say the least. Uh Let's jump into it, guys. Uh, you know, uh, segment one here, uh, like I just said, Chet Blaylock uh, with uh, an untimely passing here uh, this past week. Um, uh, you know, it took everybody by, by surprise, man. It was one of those things where, you know, if you're in the if you're around the fight scene and, you, you know, all of, all of you guys have been around Chet and he, you know, he, he's no spring chicken, but, but he had, he carried his age very well. I, I have to say, you know, I think of uh, I believe he was he was probably in his late 50s, but, uh, you know, in good shape, uh, seemed to be, uh, you know, a strong guy out there training with his guys and out there cornering his guys. So uh, things like this certainly, uh, you know, come up on you and, and, and take it take you by surprise. It's a it's a sobering, uh, sobering moment for sure, because, uh, you know, Chet's a guy that, you know, in my travels up and down the roads over this decade in the business, you didn't uh, think about the Chattanooga fight scene without thinking of Blaylock's IMB. Uh, he's a he's a, a trailblazer, really, in the in, especially in the Chattanooga area when it comes to the fight scene. So many guys come up through Chet Blaylock's team and uh, you just kind of take it for granted, I guess, after, uh, you know, 10 years working with a guy. You just assume that, uh, you know, everything's good. Next thing you know, uh you know, he's gone. So, uh, you know, uh, just send it around the horn a little bit, Jeff, you know, you've, uh, you and I've, uh, been working together here for, for many, many years. Uh, you know, you've obviously, uh, worked with Chet and, uh, and his guys and announcing and just getting guys, you know, banded up before and corner passes and all that. So it's one of those things where, you know, you definitely cross paths with the guy so many times, but, uh, any thoughts on, uh, on this situation? Yeah, man, it was, uh, obviously sad to hear, like you said, I mean, you and I've been doing this since, like 2009, man. And, yeah. and from the beginning, you know, Blaylock's IMB has always been around uh, back when I was really, really fresh and, and new in the sport, uh, you know, putting shows together, uh, managing fighters. You know, you first started hearing the name a lot when Ian Stevens, you know, was really coming out and was mm-hmm. hot uh, coming from that area. <clears throat> I know uh, everybody I dealt with uh, tried their damnedest to stay away from Ian and uh, that Chattanooga scene for a while. Um Always, man, like you said, always just produce really tough guys. Um, you know, as a uh, corner man and, and, and manager, got to go up against uh, one of his students uh, on a Strike Force Challengers card once uh, with Dustin West against Daniel Schmidt. Uh, and you know, Chet was always a class act. He was he was stern. He was uh, he fought for his guys and and what he thought uh, they deserved and what they should be. But you know, no one should have ever mistaken that for him not being. Uh, you know, a classy, nice guy because he was the whole time. He just he fought for his guys and what he you know felt they deserved and what they needed and he they wanted and he fought for them, uh, and it was always admirable. Um, you know, just you know what I take away from stuff like this, man, is you know the relationships that uh, you know kind of we've all built over the years. You know, we're all from different cities for the most part, and we come together, you know, once a month and. 
and, and hang out, but it's just taken for granted, you know, the relationships that you built that, you know, these other guys that you come in contact once a month or once every two or three months, you know, they have their own lives going on and they have their own stuff going on and you don't really think about, you know, that it can be taken away and just kind of puts in perspective, you know, when we do have those short amounts of time together, um, you know, really, really uh, recognizing them for what they are and not taking them for granted. You know, we all bust each other's balls and I, you know, I give Greg a hard time and Justin gives me a hard time and uh, things like that. But, you know, stuff like this happens and it really makes you stop and think like, you know, man, I need to appreciate those times that we are together, uh, you know, a lot more than I do. And, you know, in this game, we get upset with each other a lot. We'll get upset with refs and judges and timekeepers and, you know, promoters and things like that. But if you ever just stop at the end of the day and think that, you know, these are all family guys just like we are. They've got kids like we do and they have lives just like we do. And and people are going to be upset when things like this happen and they're not around anymore that, you know, just stop and really, you know, really take in those short interactions that we have with each other so that, when tragedies like this happen, you don't regret not getting to know someone better or not taking that extra couple of minutes and talking to somebody instead of rushing out of the Joe, you know, as soon as the, uh, you know, as soon as the card's over. And, um, and that's really what I've thought about most since hearing of his passing. Definitely, man. I don't think you could have said it any better. Uh, you definitely take advantage of those, those, uh, those small, those small moments you have with people and you, you enjoy them, but then you just assume that you're going to have them, uh, forever, you know? And so, uh, yeah, definitely kind of a wake up call to kind of stop and smell the roses sometimes. It's, uh, you know, one of those things where, uh, Chet, you know, uh, he's a guy that I think you said it very well. He's a, he not necessarily, uh, you know, if you didn't know him, if you knew him, then, then, you know, he was a super cool guy. He would laugh with you, chat, you know, cut up, but he was, he was a tough guy too. He's a stern guy. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's the best way that I could think of to describe him is old school. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. Um, <laughs> he was old school, man. Like this guy that, uh, you know, he, he had his ways, he had his way of making his guys tough into fighters, into champions. And, uh, he didn't really stray from that. And that's kind of the same, uh, techniques that you, you see like in these old school martial arts movies, you know, like this guy was, uh, was really putting these dudes through the ringer. So uh, made, made them all really hard-nosed guys, though. Uh, Justin, I you probably didn't know Chet as well. You've judged uh, a plethora of his guys' fights, though, over the years. And uh, any uh, any input here? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I've known of him, known who he was since 2011, 2012, uh, in that time when I was competing. And um, like you say, you guys summed it up perfect, you know. And he always, to me, seemed like that, like you say, like the, the – uh, uh, Cobra Kai leader almost. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, he was always a great person, always real nice, but just, just a very stern, um, you know, hard nose. And, and that's what his competitors were, were always the same way, you know, came, came to fight. And, uh, when I saw it, it was just shocking, man. You know, you just, you see somebody like that every month, like you guys say, and, uh, you know, you just don't think about it and, uh, life happens fast. And, you know, he's got a, a son that's, uh, you know, just competed, um, in a kickboxing match, uh, last year or so for us and um you know he, that was a big part of his life and uh just seeing his son you know i know they had the funeral today and uh, you know seeing his son just having to grow up uh right in front of your eyes is, is kind of wild too you know um when we all kind of met chet uh eli was probably just being born you know one or two oh, years old yeah, a little boy. And, yeah and so like and now you see him he's he's kind of having to take life uh f- you know full speed ahead now is his dad gone and um you know, I'm, I'm excited to see the, the fu- what the future holds for the gym. You know, I think those guys are going to represent him uh, in the utmost fashion. And, um, you know, he was, like you say, uh, one of the most respected um, coaches in the area. Uh, and he definitely will be remembered for a long time. Yeah, you said it well, man. I think that, uh, you know, Eli was definitely the apple of Chet's eye. Uh, you could tell if you if you were talking about Eli, you got a certain gleam in his eye because uh, he was proud of that boy. That's for sure. And uh, getting to to see Eli compete for the first time in our cage, uh, you know, just about a year or so back, he hit an awesome head kick knockout. It was awesome to see the, the crowd went absolutely berserk. And Chet was so proud that day. So that was one of those nights where, uh, you know, 
know, everything was just clicking and, uh, you know, he was, he was one proud Papa. That's for sure. Uh, looking back at some of these fighters that have come back through, uh, come out through the Blaylock's, uh, banner, you know, there you see a you see a recurring theme uh, as, as Jeff Hobbs mentioned Ian Stevens a guy that went on to, to the Ultimate Fighter and did very well there a guy that a lot of people ducked and dodged over the years uh, Sid Sid the Kid Wheeler a phenom that had been with uh, Chet since he was a young boy uh, turns pro at the age of eighteen wins a professional title with us goes overseas to fight for Brave and in, in, uh, you know in Saudi Arabia and places like that just uh, you know uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg Danny Schmidt you know guys like Tim Boyle. Uh, and then the newer crew uh, of amateurs like Carter Beekman, Andrew Sturdivant, C.J. Baker. Those are three guys that were uh, amateur champions for Valor uh, over the last year. And, and, and Chet, he, he prided himself on making champions out of these young men. So, uh, you know, those, those guys all kind of uh, embodied what you're going to get out of a Chet Blaylock fighter. And that's just that toughness, that grit. They may not win all the fights. But you don't get out of a fight with these guys without knowing you've been in a fight. And that's kind of the one thing that stuck with me. Torres, uh, wrap us up here. Uh, I hate that we didn't have Greg tonight because Greg is one of the few guys that actually has had some training uh, time with Chet down there. Torres, you're uh, with a, you know, a, a rival gym down there at Agogi, but still in that uh, in that Chattanooga area. You, there's no doubt that Chet Blaylock is a guy that is, uh, like I said earlier, synonymous with uh, with the fight scene down there. Oh, man, yeah, no doubt. Um, his name has definitely come up. I mean, in my uh, young uh, fighting career, uh, I've heard his name on multiple occasions of, of Chet Blaylock and, you know, like the, the pedigree of his gym and the standard that he has at his gym. And, uh, man, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, when those guys come to their gym, you said it perfect, Tim. Those guys are tough. Like, they talk about the, the scene of what you got to go through, you know, to even get ready to fight. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it's amazing, man. But uh, yes, I've I've heard of Chet Blaylock, and um, I've heard of all the different guys he's coached. I mean, he had, he coached some of the guys that are now at a Gogi already. Um, you know, because some you know went off to um, you know, America Killer Bees, and you know, there's a lot of different gyms that all fluctuated between each other. And um, Blay- and uh, Chet Blaylock, he had an impact on on, mo- on mostly all of them in the Chattanooga area, so or Cleveland area. Um, but definitely, man. Um, uh, sad. I was sad to hear about that because uh, it was uh, funny because I seen I seen him, you know, at the prior event. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks healthy. He looks great. Um, one of our uh, coaches, uh, Larry Scott, he's one of my coaches, striking coaches. Uh, you know, he's been in the scene with uh, Chet Blaylock uh, very long, just as long as he has, and um, he prayed over him and his wife. Um, you know, they've uh, you know because they've both been you know a bit sick and. Um, he prayed over Coach Larry Scott. Prayed over both of them, and uh, you know it was really good that uh, you know he, Coach Larry said he got a chance to see him. And uh, I've seen Coach Chet Blaylock in the locker room on multiple occasions as well, and I spoke to him as well. Um, so yes, um, he's a really great guy. Uh, it, um, really sad to hear that. You know, not only sad for uh, uh, the Blaylock Academy, but also you know for Chattanooga because he is really known well down here in Chattanooga. So uh, man, it's also sad for the fight scene, but. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, his son will continue to grow and uh, carry on his legacy. Well said, Torres. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's what I hope to see as well, man. Hopefully Eli stays with it, uh, continues training, and and maybe, who knows, uh, eventually gets into, uh, you know, teaching and coaching a, a new generation. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Chet Blaylock, rest in peace for sure, man. Uh, it was uh, definitely a pleasure working with you, knowing you, and, uh, and uh, you know, just uh, – the, the 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 small talk the stories that uh, that I'm sure that uh, Chet Blaylock uh, could tell uh, over the course of an evening would uh, certainly uh, certainly fill a book and, and be an entertaining one at that so uh, rest easy coach and uh, we'll miss you for sure uh, our thoughts and prayers go out with the uh, the rest of the Blaylocks family and uh, the, his students and uh, and and little Eli as well so uh, yeah one more time uh, thanks for uh, thanks for the ride coach. And that is going to wrap up segment one, guys. And uh, let's move on into segment two. And that is a look back at the UFC Vegas fight night. Went down this past Saturday with a main event of Derek Brunson taking on Kevin Holland. Uh, Man, this one didn't live up to the hype, guys. I thought that it was, uh, you know, a very good opportunity for Kevin Holland to uh, to really establish himself as a contender. And uh, he did not do that. He, he lost a very wide unanimous decision to Derek Brunson. Uh, Holland tried the antics 
and the talking and uh, just the kind of show the showmanship stuff. And uh, Brunson just wasn't having any of it. He was not biting on any of that nonsense. And uh, he had a very smart workmanlike performance, uh, t- getting takedowns at will for the most part and uh, grinding away a uh, less than uh, aesthetically pleasing unanimous decision. But I'll, I don't take it away from Brunson. He did what he had to do. He now jumps into the top four. And uh, should be knocking on the door, I would think, of, uh, you know, a, a contenders type fight at this point. Maybe one more or two more and have a, have a title fight. Kevin Hahn, on the other hand, is uh, back to the drawing board. He mentioned wanting to drop to 170 after this fight. So uh, we may see that. Dana was not impressed. Uh, I wasn't impressed, but my wallet was impressed because I had Derek Brunson on this fight. Uh, well, Torres, your, your take on this, you uh, you kind of clock uh, both these guys uh, to the extreme here. A really good night for Brunson, a really bad night for Holly. Yeah, um, in, in, in this situation, I mean, I'm going to go with biggest losers first. Um, yes, man, uh, Holland was really disappointing. Uh, that was truly, truly disappointing. Uh, he was given the platform to show off um, against, a, you know, a, as many would recall, a, a top 10 talent, a, um, you know, a guy that's knocked out multiple Hall of Famers in the UFC, multiple legends, a, a guy who's been on the stage for a really long time. And I mean, there's no I mean, I'm sure that he worked on his wrestling against Derek Brunson. I'm sure he did, because we all know Derek Brunson loves to take people down and, you know, hold him there for a minute. But it's like this man. <laughs> He just talked too much. I think he has built up this this uh, image of him, you know, always talking within his fights, and is probably what's so called selling for him, and uh, what is making him the attraction he is. But at some point, you got you can't talk the entire time. I mean, you got to get in there and fight. Like, I think if he would have like taken away probably two minutes out of his talking and referred some of that energy into actually sprawling, getting underhooks, fighting off the cage, actually going towards the finish. I mean, he stumbled him twice. He had a chance to get the finish and he couldn't do it. And I'm like, man, like what's in the world? But um, I think Holland has really hurt himself. I don't know how Dana will, will look at this in the future, but I think Dana's not going to look at this with the, with the best of eye and, uh, I don't know if he gets another chance like that. I think he obviously he'll get a chance to redeem himself, but that was a big time opportunity. And I think it'll be another, it'll be a while before he'll be given that same platform. Um, now with Derek Bronson, I mean, man, yes, another big win, another win against a top notch guy that's on the rise and he stops him in his tracks. He did that to Edmund Shabazian. Now he did this to Kevin Holland. He called out Paula Costa ever since he switched gyms. Um, now, um, now he's his striking is is getting a bit better. I never uh, was big on uh, Derek Bronson's striking overall, but it is getting better. Um, yes, he got knockout power, but like it, with dealing with technique, it's not the brightest. But he is getting much, much better. And uh, I mean, ever since his last loss was against Izzy, and he's been on a four fight win streak since then. And um, you know, like you said, you got Paula Costa. I mean, Marvin Marvin Vettori called him out. Um, and, you know, Marvin Vettori has a fight coming up uh, next anyway. Um, um, who is he fighting again? I'm trying to remember. He's uh, got he's got Gastulum. Gastulum steps in on short notice for Costa. Ma- for Marvin Vettori? I thought. No. Oh no no no, that's Till. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking Whitaker, man. I'm sorry. I'm off base here. I, uh, they're I, all I, middle. I, Darren Till. That's right. Darren Till. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah yeah. So yeah, Vettori got to fight Darren Till, and you know. Basically, whoever wins or that, that's going to be big. And Izzy's talking about, you know, Vettori's not getting a title shot after that. So it'll be interesting to see probably Bronson and Vettori or Bronson and Costa in that regards. But I think Bronson is starting to put himself right back into title contention for 185. And uh, it'll be exciting to see. I think Jared Cannonier is also a potential uh, opponent if, if everyone's kind of booked up. If, if he doesn't want to wait on a Till Vettori winner to come out and then maybe somebody gets hurt. And it sounds like Paula Costa has got like, some eternal case of COVID that just won't go away. So he, that's why he had to pull out his fight as well. Uh, Justin, your, uh, your take on this main event. Um, all in all, the fight was pretty terrible. Um, the thing that <clears throat> I think the, the thing with Kevin Holland, you know, confidence can be a weird thing. And I think that sometimes it's, it is used as a, as a mask for, um, you know, at, so you, if you say, you know, 
he, he's out there talking and acting like he doesn't care the whole time. So then at the end, it's, it's easy for him to say, well, I didn't really care anyway. That's why I lost. Right. You know, it's not like I got just beat. I just I didn't care. So it's like a built in excuse going into it. And, you know, he was definitely gassed in like the third round. And you're you're on bottom talking, you know, using your diaphragm to, you know, push out more oxygen uh, that way. That's only going to make it worse. You know, one of the one of the uh, I, I, I don't I would love to hear um, what his corner has to say today like you know he's going back to his corner in between rounds not listening to them at all just yelling at Khabib talking to Dana acting like everything's fine Khabib's telling him you know your fight's in there you need to focus and he's just still playing around you know and um I don't know he says that, that, that you know he's not here to be a champion he's just here to have fun and whatever but I think that if that's the case I think that's just a built-in excuse and you know if that's the case go somewhere else I mean go to go to Bellator or some you know I think that if you're in the UFC, you should you should aspire to be world champion. That should be your number one goal, regardless of where you're at in the roster. Um, and to not even aspire for that at all is is kind of weird, you know. But um, I don't know. I think it's an insecurity. I think it's that's he uses it to play off of an insecurity. Derek Brunson did what he had to do, but uh, did nothing special. I mean, you know, Kevin Holland was not fighting a, a good, smart fight at all, and still clipped him a few times. Um, and anybody else would have finished Derek Brunson at that point. So, you know, I, I don't know, man. Um, the best thing about the fight, I guess, was just Derek Brunson's ability to stay focused. That's something that, that it is hard to do. And uh, he ignored all, of, you know, all the, the, the uh, antics of Kevin Holland and you know, just kept fighting, kept stuck to his game plan and got the win and did what he needed to move forward. But um, I don't know. He's definitely going to have a big fight next, but – uh, I think he's going to have to show a lot more in that fight. I don't, I don't think that they're that they're um, going to be clamoring to give him, you know, a big main event next. Yeah, he didn't do the most with that opportunity. Uh, Jeff Hobbs, you uh, you and I were texting back and forth that night. You hated that main event about as much as everyone else. Uh, you know, I, to me, I, when I saw the weigh-ins, I honestly going into this, I was kind of leaning Holland, but once I saw the weigh-ins, that really turned me the other way because Holland was just like cutting up too much, trying to be too buddy-buddy, taking selfies and stuff. And I felt like that just wasn't the vibe I wanted to see from him going into this. Yeah, I, you know, I I think the kid found his 15 minutes of fame with his shtick. Um, it's what got him that spot. It's what got him attention. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, beating Jacare, I mean, those were huge. Mm-hmm. But that's why he's on everybody's tongue. That's why he's in everybody's mouth was his shtick. And – I guess you call it exposed. He got exposed, and that's still all he had left to make himself relevant. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's something wrong there. I, I kind of agree with Dana White when he said something about a, uh, you know, a mental, mental break. break yeah, yeah, mental breakdown. I don't know if it's mental breakdown or bipolar. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's something wrong. But I definitely uh, – I'm with Justin. I I cannot – well, I can I can understand why they did not mic the corner up too much or they, you know, kind of blanked up. They should have been furious. They should have been – they should have been, you know, threatening to walk out. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to leave your corner. Like, how do you coach a guy like that who does not want to listen, doesn't take it seriously? It's crazy. And for a guy who spent third or no, what was it, 15 minutes, like a full three rounds mm-hmm. on his back out of five, to mention Balil Muhammad's name after the fight? Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, you enjoyed, <laughs> you enjoyed being on your back so much that you're going to call him out? You know, it's it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, I think he's going to have to. I think he's he's in a position where he starts over. You know, he's got to start back over, um, and somebody's got to have a long talk with him. If, like Justin said, if he's not here to be a champion, obviously, you, everybody can't be a champion. But if you're not here striving for that, then what are you here for? Go somewhere else and have fun. You know, don't. I mean, we're not. Especially what he's paying after ripping off that many wins. You know, just with regular tier bumps. You know. Um, that we're not going to keep paying you whatever it is at this point, $60,000 a, a fight to go have fun and, and talk. Um, I, I think he's going to benefit from the crowds being back, uh, it not being so, you know, the mic right there. But I don't know how you look at winners and losers and not just, uh, you know, want Kevin Holland on your list of losers for the night. Cause uh, like I said, I, I feel he was just exposed at that point And, 
definitely feel like what Justin was saying. I mean, that was all he had left at that point. So he just ran it into the ground. I'm, I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to keep laughing. I'm going to keep cutting up with Khabib. Um, just to maybe get the focus off of what's really going on, and you just got your ass whooped for you know twenty five straight minutes. I was drawing a blank when it was when it was when I was talking about it, but his coach is Travis Luter. Like he's got a, a really high level jujitsu guy right there in his corner, and he needs to be listening to what Travis Luter has to tell him, and and he needs to go out there and submit this guy off his back. That that's. I mean, the fact that he kept close guard, he never yeah. he never attempted body triangle. He had a body, body triangle. Tri- yes, yeah. body triangle. And, and keeping a closed guard, never, I mean, jujitsu 101, never shrimping out, never trying to move your hips. I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, you, he wanted to stay there. And I don't know if it's because he wanted to stay there or he just knew, I don't know how to get up. I can't get up. Uh, you know, so why even try? Well, you know what's weird? You know, he is a black belt in yep. jujitsu. He is. He's a he black is. belt. Yeah. And that's crazy because, like, I no, thought, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was that was some positions that I thought, oh man, he might go for. I mean, one time he came out the back door in Bronson. I thought he had at least a heel hook or a straight ankle. I know a lot, a lot of people don't go for straight ankles in the UFC, but I thought he had a chance to go for one and he just let it go. And I'm like, well, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> it's rare, you know, that someone's weird outlier performance like that actually outshines the winner of the fight. Like, I feel like we're getting a lot more of attention on, uh, uh, or not just us, but like overall, there's a lot more attention on Holland still after this in a negative light, really, than people talking about uh, Brunson uh, and his win. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, Brunson uh, is, is, gets some uh, some development under this and gets, uh, you know, another big fight afterward. Co-main event, Max Griffin, man, these guys starched. Song Kanan, uh, they these guys really got after it in the co-main event. Originally, it was supposed to be the fight I was looking forward to the most, actually, guys, and that was that uh, Brad Riddell fight. Uh, you know, that fight ended up getting, uh, you know, getting scrapped uh, at the last minute with uh, with the COVID situation. But uh, Brad uh, Brad Riddell and Gregor Gillespie, um, that to me was kind of like the fight I was looking forward to the most. And uh, so that was off. Max Griffin gets to be the uh, co-main event and really takes advantage of the slot. And uh, man, it was like a nice little two punch combo. He lands on Kanan and knocks him out and, uh, you know, had a, had a lot of good interview time afterwards, showed some charisma, some dance moves, calls out Jeff Neal. So that to me, gentlemen, is my biggest winner on the night. Actually, I feel like he came out of this with, uh, if he's able to land the Jeff Neal fight on the pay-per-view in Houston, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I clock him as a pretty good underdog to Jeff Neal, but I'm just saying as far as on the night, as far as a winner goes that, uh, really kind of elevated themselves to have a potential shot at like a big fight and then a win there, who knows, uh, you know, uh, that I've got to give that, uh, nod to, uh, to, to my man, uh, uh, Max Payne, uh, Griffin. Uh, the, uh, the co-main event, I'm just going to run through the rest. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to feature bouts next. I'm going to run through the rest of the main card guys. And then I'm just going to get your overall thoughts, uh, on uh, anything else you want to touch on here before we move on to our preview. So, uh, the feature bout on this one had a little bit of controversy to it. I felt like the stuff that happened after the fight was certainly more entertaining than the actual fight. Uh, and that was, uh, the short notice, uh, replacement fighter in Montserrat, Conejo Ruiz, that means the the bunny rabbit in Spanish. Uh, she gets a unanimous decision win over the favorite Cheyenne Bays, who uh, you, you know was a fairly sizable favorite going into this fight. I, I was on Bays here. I actually did lose this one. I didn't lose many though, uh, but I was on Bays here, and uh, you know Montserrat was like mini mini uh, uh, what oh man was it uh, Alexia Linick uh, that's always going for those scarf holds. <laughs> she was spamming scarf holds from everywhere and uh, had that same little head ta- head throw all three rounds. So like. A lot of, you know, Bays got up after the fight and she was pissed. She's like, you know, fight me, bitch, you know, and <laughs> she's like, I'll follow you home. <laughs> uh, it was pretty awesome. But the Ruiz is, you know, for, for all, what she lacks in uh, excitement as far as the fighting uh, element goes, she makes up for in, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but like chutzpah, I guess. You know, she's like tatted from head to toe, a little uh, a little crazy, a little gang. You know, she's kind of 
kind of kind of hood, you know. Um, but Bay's, you know, she she couldn't make those adjustments like she needed to. Ultimately, I, I feel like when you know that's coming, and they knew that was coming, you couldn't watch uh, tape on Ruiz and not know that was coming. They should have been able to defend it. Adrian Yanez, man, a really nice performance as a third round uh, knockout over Gustavo Lopez. I mean, showed some really good hands. He's another very uh, talented young talent, uh, young prospect, if you will, in this bantamweight division, which seems like filled up with killer prospects right now. And then op- opening the main card tied to Ivasa knocks out Harry Hunsucker in 49 seconds. Uh, props to Harry for getting up there, getting the call up, uh, you know, stepping up on four days notice in a, in a really tough spot. I mean, you know, I try my best to root for guys from this region, but, you know, we, we made no secret of it last week. Uh, this was Hobbs play of the week. In fact, but uh, you know, this just played right into Ty Tuivasa's uh, wheelhouse. You know, I mean, he was landing those leg kicks that Hunsucker obviously didn't like at all. And it was more or less kind of forcing him to like charge into a brawl, which is like what Ty Tuivasa loves to do. So uh, Ty Tuivasa gets the win there and uh, we, we cash a little bit. I'll send it around the horn for our main card thoughts. And we'll do it one more time for the undercard. Jeff Hobbs. Uh, yeah, man. You know, we already touched on, you know, uh, the Brunson Holland thing. Thank God I had a five leg parlay um, with Holland as my main event winner, but was able to uh, hedge it right there at the end, put it all on Derek Brunson and still come out actually uh, better. So those kind of situations are good for me. Uh, the Ruiz fight, it was frustrating as shit to watch. Um, just every time that schoolboy headlock came in, uh, it was just like, holy shit, now i got to watch this for four and a half minutes again. You know, uh, was tough. But like you said, my play of the, of the night, um, you know, it's, it's not too often you're as confident in not just the winner, but the method and round uh, was tied to Ivasa. Um, so that one... Uh, definitely, definitely set me up pretty, uh, f- you know, for the night, being able to call that, uh, on my card as a first round TKO. Um, I know we haven't got to the prelims yet, but, uh, you know, what really started our, not uh, my night off well, uh, was the Dawson Santos, uh, you know, pulling that out at the last second and, uh, really putting me up, uh, in the, uh, in the money column and being able to play the rest of the night. All right, Torres. Um, overall, um, I didn't get an opportunity to really watch the entire card, but I, I saw highlights of a lot of them. Um, I mean, you can make a case that, you know, according to, you know, it didn't have a lot of big names, but, I mean, from the way the main card performed, I mean, and so well did the prelims. It looked like it was better than the card before, the week before, you know. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of different um, big-time knockouts. Um Got a chance to see some of the Grant Dawson. Um, I really like when uh, Jerry Cross, uh, you know, was cornering him. I saw some of those and also saw, uh, um, you know, the tie to Avasa, um, his knockout. So, uh, I mean, good card overall. And, um, you know, that UFC keep doing it. Hey, and I think, uh, you know, after like after this upcoming week, this will be like one of the last weeks that they will be in the apex. You know, now we'll be getting ready for fans. So yeah, that pumps me up. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Justin, wrap us up here on the main card. Yes, yeah, some great performances, man. Song uh, Max Griffin knocking out Song Kanong um, was spectacular. Um, Adrian Giannis is the real deal. Tied to Avasa. You know, obviously uh, had a last-minute replacement and took advantage of that. I think one thing that's not talked about hasn't I haven't heard talked about that much is shot with Cheyenne Bays is, you know, that has to be a, a mind fuck when your husband goes and gets knocked out before you, and then you got to go out there and do it too. You know what I'm saying? So I think uh, that, that that possibly could have played into the the mindset of of Cheyenne Bays going out there. Maybe she was a little flat, a little dead. She, I'm sure she already had an adrenaline dump, you know, when, when JP was out there. So um, they said they want to keep fighting on these cards together, but that's a weird one for me. I think that that would be a tough thing to do, you know, especially for the second one going out uh, if the if the first spouse was defeated. Now, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, me and Vince Ferrara have uh, our uh, Inside the Cage MMA radio. I think that's the name of it, something like that. <laughs> it's on the sports channel. And it is uh, every uh, every Thursday night. 
And uh, my, we kind of do our biggest winners and losers on there as well. And my, my biggest loser for that show was like the Bay's household because, uh, you know, they had so much. Uh, there's some hype going into this, you know, about them being a couple and fighting on the same card. And both of them were favorites in their fights um, and had some hype behind them. And neither one of them got it done. And neither of them were really fighting against just absolutely top tier competition undercard for this one it was another short card uh undercard macy chase on with a unanimous decision win over marion renault um i ended up being on the wrong side of that i i got uh, in i went on renault late i i sprinkled in a small bet on her to get a finish in the third round and i actually thought she took the first round she looked pretty good and i thought macy looked like a little deer in the headlights ish a little bit uh, for that first round, but then the second round she came out and she just like popped her in the nose and broke her fucking nose. Like, and, and then Marion just really never kind of got her mojo back after that. But good win for Chase on uh, Grant Dawson with a maybe a come from behind victory. I uh, I think uh, there was an argument he was down two rounds to nothing to Santos, maybe one to one. It was certainly uh, you know up in the air at that point. And uh, Santos got a little bit lazy in his uh, grappling exchanges going after a leg. And then Grant just started beating shit out of his face. And he uh, he knocked him out with just right at the end of the right at the end of the round. I, I got in on Grant Dawson by a TKO plus 650 and had all but given up on it. I've gone outside to smoke. I mean, I'd already <laughs> that one was that that one was dead in the water. And then Hobbs is like, holy shit. I'm like, he did it. He fucking did it. Uh, Trevin Giles with a uh, unanimous decision win over Roman to Leeds. Uh, that one was 29-28 across the board. Relatively close fight. Montel Jackson, uh, Merck's Jesse Strader in the first round by TKO. Drops him a couple times and finishes him off. Heavy favorite as he should have been. And then opening the card, Bruno Silva fought like his job depended on it. And it probably did. He was looking for his first win so far, but uh, he spoiled the coming out party for JP Bays. Knocks him out in the second round. Uh, you know, he was a little dirty early. You know, he's poking him in the eye, kicking him in the nuts right off the rip. <laughs> he, uh, he, but he really did fight hard as best we've seen him fight and uh, probably saved his job. Uh, Torres, uh, I'll skip you this time since we, you know, you didn't get to see a whole lot of this, kind of touched on a little bit already. Uh, Hobbs, uh, this undercard, and then we'll go to Justin and uh, move on to looking forward. Yeah, not a lot to say about it. Like, a, you know, my shining moment again, like I said, at the uh, main card spot was the, you know, Dawson pulling out that because I'm like you. I didn't get it as quick as you did. I got it at plus 600. Still nice. Uh, which, which was still nice uh, <laughs> to, to get that with two damn seconds left. Um, so, you know, that was my come away uh, from it. Uh, definitely like Montel Jackson, though. He looked great. I didn't get to see the Silva uh, Bays fight. I came in late getting it turned on. Uh, so unfortunately I didn't get to see that one, but all in all, man, it was a good betting night for me. I can't say that it was the, uh, uh, you know, the best card I've seen in a while, but it seems to get a little better when you're winning. Uh, you know, when you're winning your bets, uh, the cards aren't that bad. Exactly. You could have said it better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. One of those fights where, yeah, you're right. Like, I don't, there were some pretty good, uh, fights on here. But there were also some fights that weren't that good, but I never really like lost interest in it because I was just doing so well. But uh, if I'd been doing poorly, then I, I I probably wouldn't have even watched all the main event to tell you the truth. Justin, uh, your take on uh, this undercard, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on ahead to this pay per view. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys already talked about Grand Dawson. <clears throat> I thought that he was down two rounds to none, but the judges actually had it. He was up two rounds to none on one of the judges' scorecards, and it was one to one on the other judges' scorecard. So he was actually winning the fight, um, even without the knockout. But um, I thought that he definitely needed it. James Cross was, you know, giving him hell in the corner. So he said, you know, we don't know what, where the judges are at, but you need to go, go fucking finish this guy. You know, it's a, that's our best bet, and that's what he did. Um, Leonardo Santos literally needed to do anything but what he did for the last five seconds, and I thought he was going to win. I Obviously, I, that would have been wrong, but – um, I don't even know what he was doing. You know, he had a, a sort of a leg entanglement and a heel hook position, but he wasn't cranking on or actually going for it. He was kind of holding that spot. Um, so that was weird. Marion Renault uh, has actually already gotten a new opponent. Did you see about that? She's fighting Misha Tate. Misha oh, really? Tate, that quick, yeah. huh? Misha Tate's coming out of retirement to fight Marion Renault. Yeah, they're, they're the legend series, right? Yeah. Uh, Montel Jackson looked great. He did exactly what he needed to do. Um, in that position, Trevin Giles, that was a close fight. I uh, didn't necessarily agree with the judges on that one, but um, it was a close fight either way. Uh, and then, like we talked about already, you know, JP 
Um, started the night off bad for him, man. I think it's hard to recover from that. Uh, I think he, he, he sealed the deal for Cheyenne. Yeah, yeah. I never really thought of it so much like the emotional uh, or the, the dump. I can definitely see the emotion, but just like the adrenaline dump where yeah. you – you can only get it up so many times, you know, and so, uh, you know, we've already kind of went through that early in the night, like to do it again two hours later, maybe uh, less than ideal. Let's look ahead, guys. We've got the UFC 260 for segment three in our final segment of the show. Uh, it is a, a card that has been hit hard, y'all. It is uh, it was at one point looking pretty good. Uh, there's still some fights on here that, that may be okay, but uh, at one point, man, this was uh, this was a, a, a dual title fights at the at the top of the card. Um, we lost the 145 title defense of Alex Volkanovski. Um, uh, he was supposed to, to uh, defend against Brian Ortega, you know, and uh, uh, we had a COVID rear its ugly head, so uh, we've lost that title fight. Hopefully, we get it back soon. Maybe a good time to do it would be on that 155 title fight we got coming up with uh, Oliveira and uh, and Chandler. You know, it may, that would maybe make that into a mega card again. But we still got one title fight. We've got a heavyweight title fight, and it is the rematch with Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou. And uh, man, um, the early lines had Francis Ngannou as a as a, a pretty decent favorite, but the money has come in on Stipe, and now uh, it's essentially a pick 'em. You still got, you know, very very small favorite odds for Ngannou, like minus one twenty with even money back on Miocic. But uh, man, it seems like the public is on Stipe Miocic here, guys, and. Um, Man, I, 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 I'm kind of been back and forth. I, I originally was on Nganu, but I felt more confident about saying Nganu, say, a month ago. And now, I, like, I don't know what it is, but now it's just like I don't think it's a slam dunk. Uh, Torres, your take. Um, yes. Um, this is a fight, um, even on my show, I've been back and forth, back and forth. And um, I'm not going to lie to you. Um uh, this is uh, a hard one to pick. And, you know, I've, I've, when you watch those documentaries, you watch those interviews, you start to try to read the the, the mindset of, of these fighters. And uh, I've looked at it both Stipe and Francis. I've, you know, looked at how they fought since then. And has Francis striking technically gotten any smoother or technical? Not necessarily. I think he still swings a little bit wild in those occasions, but I think he has sharpened up in some areas. Um, and you got to remember, he took that fight, um, uh, that first Stipe fight, a month um, after he had just knocked out um, Overeem, I believe. And um, it was a quick it was quick notice. It was. And Francis was like, he didn't train as, uh, he trained, but he didn't train as he should. He thought he would go in and do what he was doing to everyone else, knocking him out in the first round. And the resurgence of Francis Nagano after uh, Derrick Henry has basically been the same thing. Anybody that steps in the cage with him, he puts him to sleep in the first round. Um, I think Francis will have to go at least two to three rounds with him, Stipe. But I know this could be a long shot. And I think Stipe is still going to try to take him down. I think Francis' wrestling will be there. Um, I think his wrestling defense will be there. I meant um, Kamar Usman will also be in this corner. No doubt in my mind that Francis has definitely been working on a lot of his uh, takedowns, uh, his jiu-jitsu. Um, how to escape from Mount, how to escape from Saigon. I'm 100% sure he is prepared for the ground game in this one. Um, but I will say, I think Francis catches Stipe because regardless, that power, after watching that first fight, that power was still there in round five, even with Francis breathing so freaking hard. And Francis was swinging with so much power. Where Stipe was like, man, I got to get back from this. Plus, smaller cage. Uh, smaller cage do most of the time favors the wrestler. But I think with a guy with this type of power, man, look, you don't want to be out look. I don't know, man. I think I think Francis catches him in the, one of the later rounds. And I think Francis will be prepared. And I think we're going to get our, um, our mega showdown. Francis Lagana versus John Jones. So. Yeah, now that's a, that's a money fight right there, guys. Uh, let's see. We'll go to uh, Hobbs. You got to take on this heavyweight tilt, man. Which way you you putting your money? I don't know. I don't. I don't trust it either way. To tell you the truth, not not enough to go crazy. I mean, I don't either. I think it's you know, uh, you know, I don't want to mean it. I don't mean this literally. Like it's silly for us to be breaking it down. 
But it is kind of silly because we've already seen this fight once. It's not like we're prognosticating what could. I mean, we we've seen this fight already once before, and nothing has changed. You know, the 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 way you got to look at it is is we've seen that Stipe can beat Francis and the style in which he can beat him. And we all know that all it takes is one punch from Francis. That story hasn't changed. Uh, but it was the same story as before. That knockout power was still there, regardless of who he's fought since or what. He was knocking fuckers' heads off before he fought Stipe, and it was there then. Uh, it's always going to be there. So, you know, you don't have to be Puxatani Phil or some prognosticator to, you know, say that, you know, if Francis hits him, it's over. Uh, because we know that, but Stipe found a way to win, fought a champion's fight the last time, took him in the deep rounds, and um, showed why he is, you know, arguably the greatest heavyweight champion in UFC history. And let's not act like Francis did not get some good shots off on Stipe in that last fight, because he did. He hit him solid uh, a few times, and Stipe was able to roll with him and and take him. So, you know, to me, like I said, it's it's a crapshoot, you know. Uh, I can put money on Stipe and look like I'm the smartest man in the world, but I am not. It's just because he has a good game plan and he's the champ and he's a salty vet at this time. Or I can say that I'm calling Francis by knockout because that's not a dumb bet to make because if he does touch most people, they're they're out. So um, I just kind of have to – I'm probably going to bet on both guys, honestly, in, in, in different ways, you know, different right. parlays and different ways and – and, and try to make some money up on the side uh, here and there and not screw up too many of my parlays. So, I mean, I'll, I'll probably find a way to bet on both of them. Um, but, uh, you know, it's again, it's crazy. Stipe just showed the other night on Embedded. He's still working a shift this week, you know, on damn fight week. Uh, he still put in his last shift at the fire department, uh, which, you know, overnight shifts. Um, so, you know, I've never been a real big Stipe fan. I've had a couple of encounters with him, you know, whether it be on fight weekend at a hotel with another fighter or being stuck at the damn airport once, I'm, you know, with him once. And he is the most obnoxious, annoying person in the world. But um, you got to, you know, respect his home life, uh, what he does for a living, uh, how he puts it on the line in his regular day to day job. And he heavyweight champ in the world, which is supposed to be the baddest man on the planet. And he still goes to his nine to five and, and doesn't skip a shift shift on fight week. So I think, um, as far as who I'm pulling for, uh, I like Stipe, I like what he does, but you know, I'm with you guys. Uh, Stipe may be towards the end of his career. I don't know what else there is left. Um, but regardless of which one of these guys win, John Jones has got to be the next fight for either one of them. Yeah. Um, so um, you know, Francis and Jones sounds good and it's sexy, but if Stipe wins this again and continues to build his legacy as the greatest heavyweight of all time, uh, that doesn't diminish a Stipe Jones fight at all. Oh yeah. You're hundred no, percent right there. No way. You're right. Justin, uh, well, your thoughts, you got it. You got to lean here. Or are you, uh, on the fence? Yeah. I mean, ultimately I'm, I guess I'm on the fence. It's weird to me, kind of, that, that Stipe is the underdog. Like, I understand how much power Francis has got, but like Jeff said at the end, Francis landed on Stipe. Stipe just took it differently than everybody else did. Um, and when we look back on it, it was five very dominant rounds. It wasn't There wasn't really any time when Francis had Stipe in trouble. Stipe didn't – I mean, Francis didn't win a round. There was, there was nothing like that. So, um, I, I – fully agree that Francis can knock anybody out. I just feel like Stipe has already shown us that he he's aware of that and, and his boxing and, and head movement is enough to, you know, keep him out of trouble there. Um, so I, I feel like as, a, as an underdog, if I'm making any money back on it, I'll probably play Stipe and then play Francis, you know, in a knockout, like Jeff said, play them both and hope for the best. But um, I think that, you know, it's it's a it's going to be a toss up. It's either going to be an exact replica of the last fight where Stipe dominates him the entire time, or Francis lands and you know it's over. It's you know I'm not looking for Stipe to knock out Francis, and I don't think Francis is going to decision Stipe. So um, it'll be an interesting fight though, just just to see how it all plays out. 
co-main event is uh, uh, was the feature bout, and it is uh, Tyron Woodley taking on Vicente Luque. Luque is a, uh, a fairly heavy favorite, I feel like, here. Minus two, uh, not, I'm not saying, I'm not making that my pick. I'm just saying the odds. Uh, minus 255, minus 260, as high as minus 280. Uh, with uh, Woodley coming back at plus 200, it is high as plus 220. And, uh, you know, Woodley obviously coming off two losses, but two losses at the top of the division, man. And if you look at his Instagram, then you see that he is in really, really good shape uh, for this fight, man. It seems like he's really, you know, shredded up and in good shape. This is kind of the last call for Tyron Woodley, man. This is uh this is a do or die, I think, for him. Uh, he, he's, he is a must-win fight. Uh, Vicente Luque, one of the more underrated fighters i think uh, in the ufc the guy that uh is you know uh, on the low ha- you know just been murking people but you know that finishing nico price uh you know uh, get, uh, randy brown that's just not on the same level of fighting like colby covington in my opinion and i i do think he is the deserved favorite but i think there's a, just very much an obvious path to victory if woodley uh it Woodley will use it, and that's the wrestling here. Uh, I'm going to go with Tyron Woodley uh, as the underdog here, plus 220. Uh, that is, uh, that's one of my plays on this one, and probably not a super popular one, I would imagine. Justin, you got to take. Yeah, I think they're doing Tyron dirty here. Tyron's actually coming off three losses. They are to the champ and number one and number two, but he is at the end of his career. There's no doubt about that. Vicente is on the rise. Vicente is a guy who's going to be – in that top five for several years to come, I would imagine. You know, once he gets there, I think he'll stay there for a long time. Um, he's Vicente's a main training partner of Gilbert Burns, who absolutely ran through Tyron Woodley. So the game plan is there. I mean, you know, I think that uh, the, the the blueprint is there to beat Tyron. Um, and I think Vicente is definitely in a spot in his life where he's taking his career far more seriously than Tyron is. Tyron continually says that he's, you know, that, that he's focused as ever and all that, but it's just not the case. You know, we've seen in his last three fights that he just hasn't been the same guy. I think that Tyron Woodley that fought Darren Till, it would beat Vicente Luque, but Tyron Woodley that fought in these last three fights, I, I don't see him getting it done. Uh, Torres, uh, you got to play this on this one, huh? Yes. Um, I'm taking Vicente Luque. Um, Tyron Woodley used to be one of my uh, favorite fighters. Uh, he still is. Uh, I watch him, uh, study some film on him because uh, I have some similar styles to him. But Tyron has truly disappointed me. And, yes, I agree. He has faced the top three welterweights in the world at this time. He has, no question about it. But he's lost 15 straight rounds. Um, to me, I do feel like he's on the downside of his career. I do feel like um, it's that time where, you know, it's just – you know, when when all great fighters, eventually it comes, it's going, it hits. It's that one fight, and you'd be like, man, he's not the same as he used to be. And, um, I mean, Tyron Woodley, I mean, he has that power. I mean, he would explode. I have yet to see that explosion out of any of his past few a few fights. I think I've seen it once when he against Kobe Covington, like in the early rounds. But after that, that was it. Kobe still dominated every single round. Um I don't see anything. They, I think Vicente actually probably will knock him out as well. I mean, you got to look at it. Vicente has won eight out of his last nine fights. And out of those eight wins, he's had all of them. Seven of them has been by uh, finish. And with six of them has been by knockout. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is going to be a really interesting uh, fight. But I think Vicente Luque is on the rise. And I think he puts Tyrone Woodley either in Bellator or on the retirement bed. So, that's it. All right. The uh, the the new uh, feature bout here. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't go to Hobbs here on this on this uh, co-main event. Uh, then we've got some specific plays moving on. But uh, Hobbs, you got to you got to got to move here. You on these uh, these uh, guys uh, on the on the chalk here, giving up that 265 on Luke or are you on the underdog? No, I like uh, I like Luke in this one. I've I've never been a, a Woodley fan. Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's time for him to hang it up, but it's definitely time for him to understand his spot in the sport now. And and uh, <clears throat> you know, and maybe it's just not main event or uh, main card anymore. You know, kind of like what Clay Guida's doing now. Yeah, Clay Guida has been in some battles. He's an OG. He's a vet, but he understands that uh, he's on the downside of career. You see him opening up cards now. You know, and on on prelims and things like that. And I think that might be where. T. Wood and Mama Wood need to go, uh, but I've never been a, a Tyrone Woodley fan um, at all. And unfortunately, I think his mom has a lot to do with that. She's obnoxious, as I'll get out. 
Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, this isn't one I've really circled on there other than I'm just ready to not see Tyrone Woodley anymore. We very well may not after uh, if he goes down in uh, in uh, in similar fashion here to Luke. The new uh, the new feature bout is the return of the Sugar Show. John O'Malley uh, taking on Thomas Almeida. O'Malley is a heavy favorite here, as you would expect. I would imagine the betting public uh, really like him. The UFC really likes him. Minus three fifteen here, though, and as high as uh, as high as minus three fifty with Almeida coming back at around two fifty, two seventy. Uh, man, this is another one where it's uh, my take on this is a little bit of an unpopular choice, but I, you know, if you consider that Sean O'Malley has uh, has had leg injuries in two out of his last five fights. The, you know, he, he was fortunate to come through the Sukumtov fight, but with, but he his leg got hurt in that fight. Almeida likes to use those leg kicks. He's a pretty good striker himself. I can't give minus 350 uh, on Sean O'Malley with the amount of question marks we've got here. So uh, I'm on Almeida at plus 270, man. Uh, that's that's my play anyway. Hobbs, uh, you're, you're lean here. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same, uh, same boat you're on, man. I... Uh... You know, Sean O'Malley's uh, got great footwork. Uh, he's going to have to move in and out. But like you said, I mean, two of his fights, two of his five UFC fights have ended in some sort of leg injury. So if Almeida can concentrate on that, on the calves in the, in the lower half, um, you know, it could be a long night for, for O'Malley. Um, you know, we quickly forget. I mean, yeah, the guy's lost four of what four of his last five fights. But, you know, before that, this guy's 21 and 0. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's twenty-one and zero in knocking on you know a, a world championship. It, you know, it was the loss to Garbrandt that kind of derailed everything. But <clears throat> I mean, his kind of just blitzkrieg attitude in there and and straightforward coming at you, and that's what he's going to have to do. He's he's not going to he can't give O'Malley time to to move around. O'Malley switches stances really well, moves really well. He can't give him time. He's got to come at him, and he's got to make sure that he ends every combination with a kick. I mean, he's got to. Uh, everything that he throws has got to end with a kick. Uh, O'Malley's just going to have to keep his feet moving and, and keep out of distance. But, you know, O'Malley's definitely got it in him to uh, stay, at, stay at distance, uses a long jab. And O'Malley's got sneaky power. But uh, I think the key to victory for, uh, for Almeida is going to be the leg kicks. Um, you know, I've, aside from the odds uh, going on uh, Almeida, <clears throat> I, you know, I'm liking uh, – Instead of going the, the double chance route, um, actually splitting up my Almeida by TKO KO and my Almeida by points, uh, because Almeida by TKO KO is about plus five fifty. Oh wow! By point by points is seven fifty. Oh yeah, so uh, to the middle. Yeah, so you know, I think I'm going to be better off splitting those two and ta- instead of taking the double chance and just you know putting money on both ends. Uh, and, you know, and who knows, possibly even a little on submission at plus fourteen hundred. Uh, I think if I hit all three of those methods right there um, individually, it's going to pay off better for me. So uh, I, I'm kind of leaning towards you, man. I, I like the power of Almeida and hopefully a, a game plan for the twigs. You know, tre- uh, you know, tread lightly here, but with those kind of odds, you can you can tread lightly and still do pretty well. Uh, a, a, a late addition to the main card, this was promoted uh, from the prelims, and that's a women's flyweight bout between Jillian Robertson and Miranda Maverick. Miranda Maverick, the young upstart, minus 165, uh, and as high as uh, minus 175, uh, with Robertson, the underdog, coming back around plus 135, as high as 145. I lean towards Maverick here, not enough to make a, a solid play on it but i think that uh, she's the more real, well-rounded of the two robertson on the ground is going to have the advantage and could probably from the top do uh, do some damage but i don't know that she can take maverick down maverick's got good wrestling uh although she has been taken down uh in the past but i think the striking of maverick is much more damaging than robertson so i'd lean towards the favorite maverick but not real strong justin yeah i agree uh i think you know maverick's just got that move forward gritty tough uh, in your face style and um, Julian Robertson, Julian Robertson, I think, you know, is going to want to get this fight on the ground. I, I think she'd be happy to be on her back as well. Um, trying to throw up some submissions there, but um, I like Miranda Maverick. I, I think, you know, just young, hungry, this girl's in her early twenties, you know, it's just like in uh, med school or something, I think. Um, so this is a very determined um, prospect and uh, I look forward to put on a show. 
Also on the main card, I'll be going right back to you here, Justin. It is another late uh, promotion, if you will, and uh, it's Jamie Malarkey taking on Kama Worthy. Uh, two middle to lower tier lightweight prospects, but this one has got potential for action, actually. I can see why they put it uh, on the as the opener for the pay-per-view because it, it will be a good action fight. Close odds, Kama Worthy more or less minus 130, Malarkey coming back plus 110, Justin. Yeah, I think this fight's going to be fireworks from the from the opening gate you know Kama was he came in burst onto the scene um with a, with some nice knockouts he got starts in his last fight uh pretty quick and you know he's kind of took it on the chin you know he's like it happens it's, it's one of the things that we happen that happens in the sport it's a it's a toss-up once you get in there and um you know Jamie Malarkey I, I don't think is is as powerful as uh Kama worthy but I think he's going to be willing to get in there and exchange with him uh, but I like Kama Worthy in this one. Okay. Uh, and then also uh, we've got uh, another late replacement bout. And this one just got changed around today. Um, it is Alonzo Minifield taking on Fabio Charant. It was uh, originally to be William Knight in this spot. And I thought that was kind of a, a low-key potential violent fight. I was leaning towards William Knight. Uh, but now it is a late replacement in Fabio Chiron, 7-1. and one, And we do have odds on this one now. And they've got Minifield uh, as a fairly good favorite. Minus 280 with Chiron coming back plus 220. My initial lean is the late replacement Chiron, honestly, at plus 220. I'm not real high on Minifield, to tell you the truth. But it is super short notice. And that obviously puts him at a disadvantage. Torres, your take. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Tim, on this one. Um, Alonzo Benefield, with him being the, uh, you know, at first, I'm not going to lie to you, I was going to take William Knight over him. Uh, William Knight was on the rise of Alonzo Benefield, uh ever since he got uh, his first fight. Uh, I'm trying to remember who he fought. He fought before uh, he fought uh, OSP. Devin uh, Clark, Paul Craig? Devin Clark. Okay, yeah, Devin Clark, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Clark yeah. is kind of mid mid road, middle of the road guy, and he kind of really exposed him. I thought. Yeah, he really did, and um, and, and I I never forget that fight, and he fought really fatigued, and um, and then yes, that that left hook from OSP, I'll never forget that. Good lord, and um, but William Knight, I truly thought he was uh, another guy on the rise for the two hundred five division, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll take him against Minifield, but. I think Minifield get back on the winning side. Um, um, he is going against the LFA champion, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, right now who at 205. He won his last three fights. Um, I think Alonzo Minifield wins this one by actually a knockout. I see him I see him un- unleashing his hands against this guy. Like you said, quick, short, no- short notice fight. Um, could see it being done in the first, second round. It is not a very large preliminary card now, and Shane Young has pulled uh, was pulled with COVID uh, protocols as well. Teammate of Alex Volkanovsky, who's set to face Omar Morales, and I, uh, I, last I heard, they were trying still to get someone in there for Morales, so we'd have ten fights. But as of right now, there is no opponent, so that just leaves three more preliminaries. Jared Gooden from down in Hotlanta. Uh, 17 and five, the night train takes on Abubakar Nurmagomedov, the cousin of Khabib, uh, a guy that came up on the PFL, uh, has a win over, uh, over Robert Hale, I think back in the day. And Hale is a training partner of Gooden's. Uh, the odds on this one, uh, is, uh, the, the, uh, Nurmagomedov is, uh, is the favorite and, and a fairly heavy favorite minus 240 with Gooden come back plus 200. I guess uh, my take on this one is, you know, Nurmagomedov's going to have the superior grappling and wrestling. If he can take Gooden down, he could stifle him to a decision. I think Gooden's the better athlete, more explosive, and so it is possible he catches him. But I guess I got to ride with the favorite in uh, this one, uh, to tell you the truth. Uh, not a not a heavy, strong play by any means. Justin? Yeah, I think it's uh, going to be another another one in the wind column for uh, Coach Khabib. Um I just don't see uh, Gooden being able to stifle the wrestling of Nurmagomedov um, and probably getting a submission late in the fight. All right, just two preliminaries to go, and we'll wrap this thing up, guys. Uh, This next one is a light heavyweight uh, fight, and it's Modestus Bukalkas uh, taking on uh, uh, Michelle Olechechuk. 
Uh, Bukowskis uh, is the underdog here, plus 130. Oleg at minus 160. This is another kind of low-key fight that could be exciting, I think. Oleg Chechuk is and Bukowskis both kind of go for it, and Oleg Chechuk just comes forward and slings that leather. Bukowskis has shown a chin that is potentially faulty, uh, so that's that's one of those uh, kind of question marks. I don't really like a side on this, but you can get uh, the total uh, is two and a half rounds, and I think that uh, I feel pretty solid about going under two and a half rounds uh, on this fight, to tell you the truth, because like I said, both these guys kind of go for it. Uh, the chin of Bukowskis uh, has has not held up in the past. So you can get under two and a half rounds, minus 135. And uh, that's my play on this one. Final uh, fight to go over on this uh, card, guys, we'll wrap it up, is going to be a middleweight bout. Mark andre Barreau takes on Abu Azatar. And uh, this is more or less a pick'em fight. Uh, Barreau is minus 120. Azatar minus 110. Eileen Barreau here. He hasn't had a lot of success in the UFC, uh, but Azatar's been out for two years plus, two and a half years at this point. Uh, wasn't that impressive before. And uh, I just think that Barreau's going to be too strong. To uh, you know, he's not a super tech technical guy, but I think that he's going to have the the stronger strikes, uh, the more stifling wrestling. And uh, I'll go with Mark Andre Barreau minus 120 here. And that is going to wrap up our uh, preview of UFC 260. And it is uh, a brief one as we've only got nine fights on the card at the moment. I would imagine they're going to surely get us one more fight on there to get the 10. Uh, who knows if it'll be a replacement for Morales or just something different altogether. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll recap it next week. And then, of course, uh, next week, guys, is also our picks panel. We've got a big all-pro show coming up. Uh, VFC 80 at the Joe. That is next Friday night, April the 2nd. Headlined by Charlie Alexander and Nathan Ariaga. We've also got Dre Miley and uh, Contender Series vet Jose Johnson on that card. Uh, Big Zoe, uh, Lorenzo Hood comes down from Chicago. Uh, pro debut of Tank Wilson. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and we're going to go over it next week. We're going to break it all down in detail and get our picks. Uh, of course, we'll have Greg back, Torres and, uh, and Jeff. Uh, Torres and Greg will be calling the action there on uh, on the, the live stream. And uh, Jeff will be calling it from inside the gate. So I'm excited for it. Uh, thanks so much to our panelists, my co-hosts, uh, for joining us tonight justin watson jeff hobbs torres finney uh we appreciate you guys uh taking an hour of your time to to listen to our take on things and uh if you would uh you know rate us on wherever you are uh, listening to this fine podcast and uh, like and subscribe to our social media it would uh go a long way to help us out and uh, until next week i'm your host tim lloyd we're signing off for another edition of the valor hour I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. 